0: Welcome to this week's main episode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue, And let's just jump right into it. Celeste was a bit of a wild soul. She was 30, married to a rich millionaire in his 70s, and every single Sunday after brunch at the country club. Yeah, she would get brunch at the country club. She would get up and say, well, ladies, sorry to cut it short, but I have to go make some money. I call it the Sunday Suck and she would leave the table, (sighs) dripped in jewels and jewelry, okay? Dripped in fur and jewelry. Yes, indeed. She was headed to give oral sex to her husband, Steve. She was a busy woman, you see, blowing through $500,000 every five to six months. And when she wasn't doing that, she was peeing on her ex-husband's lawn because naturally, where else do you release your bowels? And if she was ever told no, Stop doing these things. You're a grown adult. Stop urinating on people's lawns. You're killing the grass. She would attempt to take her own life. Her twin daughters and her rich husband would put her in a psychiatric care facility. And that is where she ran into Tracy. I know it sounds like a movie. Just hold on to your tits, okay? They meet in the courtyard. Hair all wild. They're both heavily drugged out. It was one of those facilities. And they both instantly knew they were going to have sex. They were going to do it. It's like they could see into the future. They were destined to be together. But I guess they didn't see the part where both of them would end up in jail for murder. Now, this was actually a quite scandalous case when it was happening because it revolved around a millionaire's wife who turned out to be lesbian. I love that's what society took from this case. They're like, how could she be a lesbian? Her husband is rich. None of this makes sense. The world is upside down. So as always, full source notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com. But wow, there is a book on this that is something else. I feel bad even calling it a deep dive because it felt like a full force Just front flip cave dive. It was intense. It's called She Wanted It All by Catherine Casey. I tell you, it's meticulous, well-researched, but it's so juicy. Can I say that? I mean, like the sheer amount of ridiculousness, the sheer amount of drama that takes place even before a crime is committed is absolutely insane. All of those intense details are in this book, so I highly recommend giving it a read. It's truly something else. But I guess we're just gonna get into this uh, thirty-year-old. Can I say gold digger? I feel like that's like not a word I can say these days. But she was kind of the epitome of that. You'll hear, okay? Oddly, the story does not start with Celeste though. It starts with her adoptive parents instead, Edwin and Nancy. You know, they were a cute couple. They had been married for 6 years. Edwin owned a Volkswagen repair shop. Nancy was a stay-at-home mom. They lived on a in a small ranch in a cul-de-sac. It's a pretty perfect life, no? But they were going through a lot behind closed doors, like a lot of couples. They were struggling with conceiving a child. So Nancy had 3 miscarriages, and that is when they decided, let's just adopt. Why go through the pain? Now, this is in the 60s when there were a lot more relaxed laws about adoption. So the two, Edwin and Nancy, adopt four babies in less than four years. They were adopting a baby literally every nine months. Okay, you're like, that sounds cute. They're like giving this baby a home. Well, Nancy, the mom, she was a little wild. If any of her adoptive kids were like, hey, mommy, just wondering... Where are my biological parents? Why did why was I adopted by you? Like, I love you. Thank you. But like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And she would sit them down. She would, you know, put their hair behind their ear and say, your mom was a sex worker and you are the son of a wife beater. He was a no good, no having, no life loser. I gave your mom five dollars to not sc- abort you. Five dollars. That's all it took. You're with me because your real parents, they didn't love you. And guess what? i don't love you either and she would walk away (laughs) so the kids were often sitting there like why the hell did she freaking adopt us then if she hates us so much i don't understand so from the outside nobody sees this though they see this perfect cute family nancy would go around telling everyone oh i'm just so tired i baked cookies with the kids oh i took them rock climbing did i mention i've taken the kids twice to disneyland not once twice to disneyland But her kids remember a a very different life. They said, yeah, dad was really strange. Mom was always troubled. She had some psychological problems. Being home just was never a happy place. Ever. The oldest adoptive child, his first memory was when he was like five or six. And it was, um, he was in the bath with the rest of his siblings. And Nancy's washing their hair. But she would randomly grab their heads, the back of their heads, and just shove it down into the water. And they would start crying. They would be flapping around like their arms are flopping up and down, like, get me out of here. And then she would bring them back up and then do it again. It was so terrifying. They told their dad. And soon afterwards, Nancy gets admitted into a psychiatric hospital where the doctors are like, well, what's going on? Like, why did you try to drown your kids? Let's talk about it. And she said, well, at the time, I was thinking of this Bible passage called to wash away your sins. So that's what I was doing. But I would never kill them. And they just took her word. They said, okay, that's fine. Abuse is great. Just don't kill him. And she's, they sent her off. They sent Nancy back to her kids. Not all of her kids suffered the same way, though. There were favorites from the get-go. Celeste was the golden child. She was daddy's little girl. She did well in school. She volunteered during the holidays. She baked cookies. For school, she won ribbons at competitions. She had this beautiful dark blonde hair with these blue eyes. She would later grow up to be super tall, have long legs, and everything she wore had to be pink. She was just that type of girl. Everybody loved her except for her brothers. And it wasn't innocent annoyance, like, oh, she likes pink. She's so girly. I don't like her. No, they were terrified of her. They said it's because she is just so calculating. One minute, she would do everything for you. Bend over backwards for you. Then she just turns into this horrible, positively psychotic person. Those are their words, not mine. Now, if Nancy was angry at one of the other kids, Celeste would jump up and grab the giant wooden board. She'd say, I got it, I got it coming. And she'd bring it the family's spanking board. It's like she wanted, she like yearned for her other siblings to get spanked. Now, Nancy seemed to encourage it because there were other adults who saw this happen and they're like, wow, something's wrong with your daughter. That's bizarre. You should talk about it. I mean, nevertheless, something's wrong with you, Nancy. But why is Celeste jumping up and down for this? So if they pointed it out, Nancy would just say, well, you know, the whole family is just different. So when Celeste turns 11, her whole life comes crashing down on her. Edwin had to close down his repair shop. And now he is no longer the CEO of a Volkswagen repair shop. In fact, he's now unemployed. So he decides to go back to school, further his education, which was not a good idea. It just gave the family even more debt to deal with. And he majored in speech. So all that happened was he didn't really get a job with this degree. He just got really snobby. He started using big words. He dressed in press. He wanted to look like a professor all the time. He started going by the name. Because, you know, he's like, Edwin's not cool. It's not classy. He said, call me Jedidiah. One more time. (laughs) Jedidiah.
1: Jedidiah.
0: Jedidiah.
1: Call me Jedidiah.
0: Jedidiah. It's a biblical name, okay? And he just turned into the biggest egotistical dude ever. He started to beat the kids more because he's like, what do you mean? You don't understand the word. What do you mean? Look for a synonym for cool. What's wrong with you? Stop talking like you have no education. And it got so bad that on Christmas Eve, Nancy kicked him out of the house. And for the next three years, I am talking a bitter, bitter divorce. They fought over everything. Yeah, the usual money, the kids. But they also fought about like Edwin's old shop tools. I don't know. I don't know what Nancy would want to do with that wrench. I don't know what she would want to do. Like, they just fought over every little possession. And the kids said, dad was crazy. Sure. Yeah, he was. But mom was vindictive. She tried to brainwash us to hate dad. So Celeste, she's going through her own problems. You know, she had made a friend at church named Louise, and Louise was from a rich family. Celeste does not. Louise's family would take her on all of these fancy trips, these vacations, and Louise would even buy her expensive presents for her birthday. And Celeste just, this was her first very, very, very sweet taste of money. And now she expected it. She felt entitled to it. She felt like she needed it and deserved it. And people should be throwing wads of cash at her as she walks by. Okay, maybe that's not the worst thing, though. Maybe you're thinking, okay, this is great. Maybe this is a rags to riches story. She's going to work hard for her money. She develops a great work ethic like, wow, it's going to be one of those. No, she just became more and more entitled and intolerable. She started beating up her siblings to the point where they would call the cops on her. Celeste would even start beating her own mother. Yeah. Over the smallest things, Nancy would wake her up for school. And I guess, I guess Celeste wasn't ready. I guess Celeste was sleepy. So she would punch Nancy, punch her hand through the front window of the house, shattering the glass. And she would just go around punching people because she was woken up for school. So this is when Nancy is like, I think that it's time to get a therapist for Celeste. So she brings her in. I don't know what kind of therapist she chose, but the therapist sat down with Celeste and after one session said, we have no idea how to help her. So, I mean, sure, you could keep bringing her in, but I don't know what to tell you. So they don't bring her in they just let her do her own thing now fast forward to high school celeste is actually very popular in high school she had these super high cheekbones um she wasn't drop dead gorgeous but she had this very enticing smile kind of like a husky voice with a this is according to people who knew her with a hint of a lisp i don't know why they okay that's really rude a husky voice with a hint of a lisp And it was just enticing. People liked it. Mm. She knew how to draw people in. She did it powerfully. She loved the attention. She was the type that would act so sweet and innocent. But at night, she would strut around the streets in her nightgown. And she loved being catcalled. She loved people, you know, showering her with compliments. Now, this is bizarre, though. When Cole, this is her older brother. When he finally got into bed with his first sexual connection, (laughs) his girlfriend told him, hey, just so you know, since we're going to have sex now, um, I've already had sex with your sister Celeste.
1: Whoa. whoa yeah. Whoa. To
0: clarify, I'm not bothered at all that his girlfriend or Celeste had a same-sex encounter, but I'm cringing at the fact that imagine you're about to have sex for the first time and the person you're about to do it with tells you, oh, yeah, I already forked your sibling, just thought you should know. I would die. <laughs> what, I mean, how would up? you even react?
1: And he proceed?
0: Yes, he did. He okay. absolutely did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so by the time that Celeste is 17, she meets her very first future husband. Don't worry, there's going to be a lot. Uh, 19-year-old Craig, they met at a bar and she made the first move. He thought that she was just so pretty. Craig stood no chance. Some even said that Celeste was his road to suicide. He was um, in over his head. She did a lot of dangerous things with him, but I guess more so to him. She would tell him, like, my boss at the pizza shop, he keeps assaulting me. Like, he keeps touching me and groping me. And, you know, of course, Craig is not just going to sit around and listen to this. So he grabs his friends and they grab some weapons and they go to the pizza shop and an altercation happens. And it ends up with Craig being hit on the head with a hammer. Come to find out, Celeste had lied. The pizza owner had never assaulted her. She also lied that a guy at a party had kissed her. And uh, Craig went on to go try and beat up that guy. But then the truth came out. Everybody at the party said, no, that dude was minding his own business. And Celeste kept coming up to him on the couch and just try to make out with the guy. Like, we saw it. We're not even drunk. We saw it. So eventually, a lot of those around her, they start seeing through Celeste. And she gets kicked out of parties. People stop being her friend. And she was just left with, like, a handful of friends. A handful of people who were just so confused. Why does nobody like Celeste? She's so cool. Gail was one of those people, one of those close friends. And then it happened to her. One night, Celeste takes Craig's car without asking him. She's just going for a joyride. Now, Craig loves his car, so this is important. She picks up Gail, and they start driving around, and suddenly, Craig's friend's car pulls up behind them with Craig in there. So they keep following this car, and she's like, "Mm mm-mm, I'm not going to pull over. Instead of pulling over and admitting what she did and saying sorry to Craig, she pedaled to the metal. She's booking it. Now, the problem is, they were, like, on the side street, and the passenger door was open a little bit. I think that they were probably smoking, and... um. Gail had fallen out of the car. Her pants were caught on the door and Celeste did not stop. So she kept driving for another like 300 feet with Gail just scraping on the road. Thankfully, this was during winter and Gail was just all covered up in layers like she had on layers and layers and layers of clothing. Otherwise, she would have been incredibly injured. And then they crashed the car. Now, what's so funny is that Celeste does this to Gail. I mean, this is like horrendous. How dare you do this to someone, right? But um, for weeks, it was Celeste who came to school wearing a thick cervical collar. She told everyone that her neck was broken from the crash. Let's be real. Most of the people who knew her did not believe her at all. Celeste was just the type of girl that loved to pretend like her neck was broken or that it was sprained or hurt. I mean, she always did stuff like this. During one of the court hearings for her parents' divorce, she shocked the socks out of everyone. So she got up on the stand so nonchalant and she says, well, judge, yes, my father, he's great. But when he's not great, I guess it's bad. Like he always grounds me. He takes away our money and she looks around and everyone's getting bored. You know, they're like, oh, this is another normal divorce proceeding. And she looks and sees that some people are not even looking at her. The judge is, you know, kind of checking out. So she says, once he stabbed me, he stabbed me Mm Mm-hmm. right here. The scar is long gone, but he stabbed me. And she makes this whole fictional story about how she was stabbed by her own father. Now, nobody remembers this. There's no hospital record. No sibling remembers this. The only thing that her siblings remember is that one time when she was young, she was so mad at her dad that she put her arm where the car door slammed shut and slammed the car door over and over again on her own arm until it broke.
1: Who does that?
0: Yeah, and she later complained her dad did it. And uh, whenever he said anything, she would say, well, I'm going to call the cops because you broke my arm. It's like, no, you broke your own arm because you're so terrifying.
1: That's scary behavior. Yeah, can
0: you imagine sitting there and seeing like a little seven-year-old do this? Just making eye contact?
1: Yeah, breaking their own arm. Yeah.
0: What? I thought you like have a mental, you know, like block to not do stuff like that but she was all in so at 17 celeste gets pregnant with craig's baby and uh, she calls it a one in a million miracle that's what she keeps telling everyone she said you guys should be so blessed and happy to know me because i'm pretty much virgin mary the doctors told me that i would never be able to have kids but here i am pregnant everybody was confused because they said and i quote I can't imagine why a doctor would say that to a seven-year-old. I mean, there was no accident that happened. That's just really bizarre. The whole thing seemed really odd. So Celeste, pregnant with Craig's child, marries him in December 6th. And uh, she was pregnant at the time with twins. They get a little small house in California together. And Celeste was told nonstop, hey, you got to be on bed rest. You're, you're going to give birth prematurely. You got these twins. We want to prevent that at all costs. Now, what does Celeste do? She refuses to listen. She still goes to parties. She's doing her thing, probably drinking. And two months early, she gives birth to identical twins, Jennifer Lynn Bratcher and Christina Ann Bratcher. Because they were born premature, the girls only weighed about two pounds each. They had to be put on respirators. Thankfully, they recovered, but it was just a rough start to an even rougher childhood. Think about it. Their parents are young. 15 or 18 and 20 they have no money they start moving around a lot because well mainly because they get evicted they moved like seven times in six months truly there was no stability there did they make it up to the kids with love no celeste would just cheat on her husband she was a waitress at one point and she loved this was her favorite pastime was sleeping with hot customers sometimes even neighbors Craig knew this. Sometimes she would just leave Craig and the twins for days, for weeks, just to be with a new guy. And then she would come back and crying and say, please forgive me. It's because I was raped as a child. My father raped me and that's why I'm like this. Which, by the way, Craig, is the reason I don't have sex with you. I just can't get used to it. It's just PTSD. But that was kind of odd for everyone to hear because she loved having sex with other women. She also loved having sex with Craig before they got married. It just seemed like she was over Craig. Now, back to the assault thing, right? Uh, None of Celeste's siblings or families believe this is true. But I guess we don't really know. I just know that it's kind of hard to take Celeste's words for things because she has an intense track record of lying. She claimed even her own husband, Craig, was abusive. That he liked to stalk her and rape her, which, I'm okay, isn't it, it's not all fake. So Celeste would go to parties and she would leave her husband with the two young kids. And one time he found out where Celeste was and she was staying at her side piece, her side man's house. And he broke in and uh, threatened to beat up the dude. So I guess it's kind of stalking. Right. Maybe. Not really. I wouldn't call that
1: stalking. (laughs) So
0: it's like a very, yeah. (laughs) It's
1: like catching your cheating wife. Exactly. And they turn around like, why are you stalking (laughs) me? Why are you stalking me? Leave me alone.
0: And I mean, it's confusing, right? So then another time, this one gets a little worse. Craig finds the house that Celeste is staying at, and he stands outside the window and points a gun at Celeste and her lover. That's a little threatening.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's that's a little extreme behavior, but still. Yeah, so he's
0: thrown in jail for that for four months. And so now Craig has this track record. He has this criminal record. So if he does something that Celeste doesn't want, she says, well, I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to call the cops on you. You're going to be thrown in prison. And they're not going to believe you. They're going to believe me and she abused this she would call the cops all the time and she would say crying just sobbing one time i was asleep and my husband shoved cat poop in my mouth cat feces in my mouth these police are looking at craig like you scum of the earth what's wrong with you to your innocent young wife how dare you she also called the cops and said one time he broke my arm there we go with that damn arm again. So some of the final straws for Craig in this relationship. Yeah, oddly, the cat poop allegation was not a final straw, but I guess everybody's a little different. But the final straw was when Craig's mom gets a call. Hey, I'm so sorry for what happened. You must be so upset. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. Um, I actually know someone who lost a granddaughter. She was so confused. Like, what are you talking about? So she calls Craig and she calls Celeste frantically. Like, did somebody die? What are the twins doing? Celeste says, oh, that? Wow, people talk a lot. No, I, I, the time period to get my tuition back, to get my tuition refund from the college was over. And they asked me, why didn't you cancel it earlier before the cutoff date? And I just blurted out, well, one of my twins' daughters died. Like, what are you going to do? My twin daughter died, huh? That's why. So after 18 months, Celeste and Craig, they divorce. Because of, well, I guess, the cat poop allegations, the firearms charge, Celeste gets primary custody. Craig was allowed weekends, holidays, and he was ordered to ch- pay child support. So Celeste takes the kids and decides to move in with that old high school friend. Remember Gail? The one that was dragged in the car? Yeah, for some reason. Gail was down to move in with Celeste, so they get an apartment together, and it was hell from the get-go. Gail would come home from a long day of work, and Celeste would just walk out the door, just expecting Gail wouldn't let the kids die. So then she'd be babysitting for free. She was never, she never had alone time. The apartment was so small. So Celeste and Gail, they shared one room. They even shared the bed. The twins got one room. And Gail would remember so many odd things happening. One time she wakes up to see Craig just standing above them, just watching them. She's like, what the heck are you doing? She's screaming. What are you doing in here? And he just calmly says, oh, you're a lesbian. That's why you never want to have sex with me. And Celeste looks at Gail. Celeste looks at Craig. And she just giggles. Gail's like, get out of here. What's wrong with you? Celeste even started treating Gail more like a daughter. Maybe even a girlfriend. I don't know. It was just clingy, nonstop smothering. Constantly, where are you? What are you doing? Who are you with? So finally, one day while Celeste is at work, Gail packed up her bags and snuck out. It didn't go without a fight, though. Celeste found out somehow, chased Gail down, and threw a knife at her. It didn't hit her, thankfully, but that's, that's crazy. The next day, Celeste also reported to the police that Gail stole her purse, her welfare, and her food stamps. So, it's just a classy lady. And Celeste was devastated, not at who she had become or her friend leaving, but that she had to take care of her own kids. Like, seriously, this is my life now. So she starts dropping them off at foster homes. Jennifer said her first memory was being left with strangers. She never knew if her mom was going to come back. She didn't know anything. Sometimes Celeste would come back whenever she got bored. She would bring them back home and say, okay, now you're going to live with mommy. And daddy's even going to come. She would get back together with Craig. But it always ended with Celeste ditching her whole family for another guy. This time, it was an electrician named Pete Tim she was oh she was so in love she immediately shipped the kids off to foster care which by the way they were placed in different foster homes every single time and it wasn't good some of them were evil they laughed at the girls for wetting the bed they would also push the girls into the pool and say that should teach you your lesson the girls also started doing very alarming things they spent all of their time digging a hole in the foster parents backyard they said they want to get to China
1: Yeah. So
0: whenever Celeste went to visit the kids, they would cry. They would tug at her like, Mommy, please take us back. Like, we'll be good kids. And Celeste never even attempted to look sad. She was too busy hanging out with Pete. Now, Pete believed Celeste was this innocent, beautiful woman who had suffered so much abuse from the hands of her own father. I mean, she just needed help. But then one day, he opens up his bank account. $7,000 $7,000 is missing. So he calls up his bank and he's like, hello, what happened? Where's all my money? And they say, oh, your wife withdrew all the money. That's what it says on the account. She would go through the drive through ATM and took out $2,000 for a week, like every day for a week until you were gone. No money. He's like, I'm not even legally married. She's not even on the account. So how did she get past all this security? So Pete confronts her and she said, oh, I needed that money to get custody of the girls again. So he forgives her. But one thing that bothered him was that Celeste absolutely hated sex yeah I know not the seven thousand dollars missing but the fact that Celeste hated sex really bothered him like she was good at it but why do you hate it so much so he kept asking her and she would just cry and he thought oh well I guess when you're depressed like you don't want to do anything including sex so he wanted to help her he wanted to make her feel better so he proposed to her and a few months before their wedding Celeste says hey I found an apartment and I really want it. I just need to borrow some money for the deposit. Is that okay? Now, he was hesitant, but he loaned her the money and she moved in. And in reality, she had dipped out of town. But Pete's name was on the lease and he was stuck paying for it for the rest of the year.
1: Oh my god! Which is so
0: confusing because she needed the down payment that he gave her to put down on the deposit. Like... She didn't get anything out of it. She was oh, just forking yeah, it She
1: actually, up. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She didn't t- take the money and run away. No.
0: She also didn't get her rent paid for free. Like, she is getting nothing out of this, but pure, I hate you. So here you go. <sighs> like I'm just gonna mess you up and then she just dipped he kept looking for her everywhere not because of the money but he still loved her see that's the thing with Celeste she was so good at stuff like this now Craig is also falling apart over Celeste too she was constantly stringing him along calling him saying I can't wait for us to get back together reunite the girls reunite the family and he was so sick of this back and forth so one day she'd call and say all of that right romance romance she said and then the next day she'd be like you're a horrible father you don't deserve to have kids like i can't believe the girls have to call you a dad like you're disgusting you're vile you're despicable so because of that he gets drunk in a motel stairwell one day and uh he puts a shotgun under his chin and his friend keeps trying to talk him out of it but craig kept screaming i love her why does she do this shit to me why does she do these things why does she keep hurting me Thankfully, his friend did talk him out of it this time. A few days later, Celeste calls him back and says, I want you back. I'm going to move to Arizona to be with you. She brought the twins. They were both happy for a little while. And Celeste even had another child. She gave birth to a third daughter who she immediately gave up for adoption. And uh, she made like $10,000 from this. Yeah, Craig was really upset. And then soon she leaves the whole family again. For another guy. So Craig, I mean, the trauma of having another child and the excitement of Celeste being pregnant and the possibility that maybe we'll be happy again and it's just all ripped away and he realizes that she sold, essentially. She sold their third daughter for Mm $10,000. He could not deal with it, so he started to self-harm. Now, Celeste gets remarried to a Harold Wolf, and uh, this guy's an Air Force jet mechanic. He's tall. He's over six feet. He's got this prematurely graying hair. He traveled the world. He already went through a divorce, just like Celeste, so maybe, maybe they're going to fight it out. It wasn't love at first sight. Harold always said that he never really liked Celeste. The minute that he met her, he felt like something was off about her. But after a few months of dating, he couldn't break it up because she was pregnant. Or so she's sad. So he marries her. She's 25. He's 29. And soon after his wedding, Celeste calls him and says, well, I lost the baby. But he stays with her in Glendale near the basin. Is it for love? I don't know. So Celeste didn't really love Harold. She just liked that she could get a little more things from Harold. Craig had no money. Harold could at least afford a car. He bought her a bright yellow Ford as a gift that she despised she hated it she got a license plate that read lemon on it just to spite him she always badgered him like why the hell did you pick yellow what's wrong with you who picks a yellow car (laughs)
1: <laughs> what
0: yeah one day the car is attacked according to celeste those are the words she used oh my god my car is attacked the fenders were scratched the seats were slashed and it was bizarre because it didn't look like a real attack even the cops said it was strange but everybody just let it go besides harold had much bigger issues sex was a huge issue harold said celeste was really good at sex but she just did not seem to like it if you ever wanted to talk to her about it she would cry so finally, she opens up and tells him, it's because of my abuse. And uh, she's crying and she's reliving all this trauma. And he remembers this moment where she looks up at him and says, don't you feel sorry for me? But I guess it worked because he did. So Celeste wasn't just manipulating her partners, though. She was manipulating her co-workers. She starts working at this ice company called Crystal Ice. And it's like this ice wholesaler.
1: I didn't know there's uh, ice wholesalers. Yes. You know, like... <laughs> buy in bulk
0: yeah do you think they like supply those uh, gas station ice freezers because somebody's gonna yeah. do that right yeah exactly but is there like an ice trade show
1: trade show yeah for, for sure
0: ice? Yeah. <laughs> there's gotta be because be, yeah. like how do the gas stations pick out which ice to get why does every fast food chain have different ice
1: i think that's ice machine
0: who sells these ice machines <laughs> do you go to a trade show
1: Listen to Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Now, this is around the time, oh, she convinces her co-worker, Lou, to babysit her kids for free. And she does this because she knows that Lou has two full-grown sons, but she's always, always wanted a daughter. So Celeste fills that role. Celeste says, I've never had a mom of my own. I've never had a good mom. And you... You're perfect, Lou. If I had you when I was growing up, I wouldn't be this traumatized and this broken and this helpless. She started calling Lou mom. So Lou and Gary, her husband, would watch the kids. And honestly, the kids loved being there. Like they would drive them to softball practice. They would be at the softball games, Lou and Gary. Like they were acting like grandparents or parents to these twins. And this is around the time that a split starts happening. Jennifer loved being at Lou's or even Craig's parents house. She loved her grandparents. She loved the stability. She hated her mom, especially because Celeste refused to let them go to school. What? Yeah. Whenever they were with Celeste, they never went to school because they needed to be home to do errands for Celeste. Like at eight years old, they were folding laundry. But Christina, she was miserable without Celeste. For the past little while, Celeste had been telling Christina, you're my favorite. You're the only one that I love. And I know that you're the only one that loves me. I gave birth to both of you, but your sister, she just, she hates me. Nobody gets me, but you get me, Christina. And so she just couldn't pull away. When Celeste hit and beat the kids in anger, Jennifer would sit in the corner freaking pissed. Like, how dare she? You're not even a mom, but Christina would be devastated. She would think, what did I do? Why is she mad at me? Celeste starts treating Christina like she's the adult and Celeste is the child. As an eight-year-old, whenever Celeste was upset or sad, Christina was her therapist. She would even take it a step further and Celeste would threaten to take her own life in front of Christina. She would take like a handful of pills and drop a hairdryer into the bathtub and it was always Christina who came to the rescue. It seems like Jennifer saw right through Celeste but like nobody else did. Christina loved her, Lou loved her, Harold loved her. Craig loved her. But eventually, eventually, her second husband decides he can't do this anymore. He was being thrown into jail too many times on allegations of abuse. She just was too much. So he tells her, I got to get a divorce. And she would not let him go. Literally, she would dig her long nails into his arm until it bled. So Celeste moves on to marriage number three. She meets a guy by the name of Jimmy Martinez, who is three years older than her. And uh, he had a super stable job planning, managing security systems. And they met at one of those bars where they have mechanical bulls. And Celeste was (laughs) riding that bull. Okay. (laughs) And he was drawn to her. And Celeste would say that she was drawn to his little Jimmy. And then she would wait a pause and say, well... His big Jimmy and she would wink at you. Yeah, that was the type of woman Celeste was. She let her kids know that she was getting married on a postcard. So she split the kids time between her house and Craig's parents house in Washington. And Celeste would literally only fly them back to do chores. Like she had to pack for Austin, Texas, because that's where Jimmy was living. So to be with Jimmy, she needed to pack all of her things by tomorrow. So she flies the kids in from Washington, starts them on their packing. And she says, girls, I need this done before tomorrow morning. But I'm going out on a date with someone who is not Jimmy. Yeah. Wow. The girls were 11. They tried to pack a little bit, but they got hungry. There was no food in the house. So they went over to the store to buy dinner, uh, like a TV box dinner. And thankfully, their grandparents had given them some money. They fell asleep. And when Celeste gets home, she starts yelling at them. You never do anything for me. You don't even like me. So she makes them pack all of their things. They get in the car and they start heading for Austin. During this car ride, she starts coaching them by putting memories in their heads. (laughs) Girls, remember when I got cancer and all my hair fell out? Remember? Because if Jimmy asks, you remember, right? (laughs) Right? Jennifer was getting so fed up by this, she just straight up asked, Why do you want to marry Jimmy anyway? And Celeste responded, Because of his BMW. (laughs) And the girl said wait he doesn't even have one He has a Pontiac And Celeste looked in the little rear view mirror And she said no His BMW His big Mexican wiener The girls are 11 Yeah the girls are 11 so they helped Celeste move into this three-bedroom house in Austin. And they uh, the twins share a room, the couple shares a room, and there was another room for all of Celeste's things. She had 160 pairs of shoes, clothes, with still their tags on them. And every single day, Celeste and Jimmy fought from the get-go. I mean, she would do crazy things. She would grab Sharpies, crayons, right all over the walls of their house. I hate Jimmy Martinez. And then the next day, if he threatened to leave her, she would stab herself in the wrist with a pair of scissors, threatening to end her own life while Christina was off on the side, just sobbing away. She liked to do things where she attempted to jump out of the moving car on the highway if her and Jimmy were on a fight or were in a fight, and Jimmy would grab her just in time, yank her back into the car by her arm, and later that night, she calls the cops on Jimmy, showing the bruise on her arm as proof. Jimmy would be thrown in prison for the night or multiple nights, and it was just, it was crazy. So Jennifer could not wait to go back to Washington to be with her grandparents, but Christina, she wanted to stay. She felt bad. She said, my whole life I just felt bad for my mom. I felt like one of us needed to love her, and she always said that she loved me and needed me, and I needed to stay. But then two seconds later, she would be screaming at me that I wasn't good enough or I didn't have enough. And then the next minute, she'd be apologizing, saying, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that to you. I don't know what's wrong with me. And it was confusing. So for the first time ever, the twins were separated. So with Jennifer gone, Celeste decides to get a job waitressing at a very exclusive Austin country club where the city's wealthy played tennis, golf, dined, mingled, networked, rubbed shoulders with other millionaires and billionaires. And this is when Celeste starts dreaming about how she's the one that should be waited on. She deserves that life, not these random women. What's wrong with these women? They're like in their 60s. They're too old to be enjoying it. It should be her. She should be pampered. She should have a chauffeur. She She should spend her days lounging around dripping in jewels she deserves it she starts spending more money on her husband's card Jimmy's card they were tens of thousands of dollars in debt Jimmy had always been a financially responsible person he didn't make a lot of money but he was good with his money but now now it was crazy and when he tried to talk to her about it like we gotta stop spending money she would say it's my only happiness Jimmy because I'm diagnosed with cancer did I not tell you She even told this story to club members, and they felt so bad for her, her throat cancer, that, um, wow, and you're taking care of twins with an abusive husband who beats you every day? Jeez Louise, the rich felt, they felt sad, so they would tip her heavily. Sometimes they would even slip her a few hundred dollar bills after a nice little lunch at the country club, and they would walk away feeling so good about themselves. Eventually, Celeste gave up the charade. And the job, and she moved in with a 70-year-old man by the name of Steve Beard. Straight into his mansion to be his housekeeper. And very soon, if all goes according to her plan, his girlfriend so who is steve beard steve was born november 27th um he was born in a very traditional house when he was taught that men are breadwinners and women take care of the house but steve was did you say
1: november 27th
0: yeah it's my birthday i (laughs) was really trying not to do that to be like which is like my birthday (laughs) so
1: but that was a test for me though
0: exactly okay So he wasn't a misogynist, though. He didn't think that women need to know their place in the kitchen. He just felt like he needed to work hard to make a living. So immediately from the get-go, he starts working hard. His parents had nothing, but he went to three different colleges, majored in advertising and marketing, and he worked from the bottom up. He started mopping floors at radio stations, and eventually he was producing some of the nation's best ads for massive companies. He later marries a woman by the name of Elise Adams, They have three kids together, and by the time that Steve is 26, he's one of the top producers at John Blair and Company. People were drawn to his lively personality. He was easy to remember, hard to forget. That's what they said. Steve could walk into any of the city's top restaurants without a reservation, and he would get the best table that night. He was witty, he was successful, he was easygoing, he was fun. Steve wasn't home a lot, but he was a good dad. He loved his kids and he loved his wife. He always showered her with gifts. They had a lake house. They went on vacations all over the world and life was good. But as they're getting older, Steve starts putting on a lot of weight. Now, this is pertinent to the story and that's the only reason I mention it. He was heading into well over 300 pounds. It never really bothered him or his friends and family, but he wasn't the healthiest per se. And just like that, the years flew by. And at this point, Steve is nearing 60 years old. He's not getting any less ambitious. He's not working any less. The kids have grown up. They've moved out. Their kids are doing their own thing, moving across the country. And Steve and Elise, they're empty nesters. They have this very bougie house in Westlake Hills, one of the best areas of Austin, Texas to this day. Um, they have this scenic view of the skyline. It was their dream house. And they were living the dream for Christmas. They got a Christmas card from the Reagans, from the White House. What? Yeah, so they were well-connected. They were very smart people. And every day, no matter how much money he was making, every day, for decades, at exactly 5.30 p.m., he would stop everything he was doing, pick up his work phone, call his wife, and say, do you want me to bring you home anything from the grocery store? And every night, him and Elise, they would either take a dip in their pool or drink cocktails in the hot tub. They were living the dream. They made a ton of money. It's estimated that Steve's net worth was, I would say, within in today's money, close to like $20 million. So they're making a lot, but they were very careful spenders. Like they weren't frugal, they weren't cheap. They loved buying gifts. They loved spending money on their family, but they didn't throw it around. That like Elise wasn't the type of woman who wanted to be dripped in fur head to toe. She just wanted to golf. That was her favorite thing. So life is great, but like every movie, you know that something bad is about to happen. Elise gets really sick. She had suffered a small stroke. She started slurring her words, but that wasn't all. Her biggest problem was that she had a brain tumor. And Steve couldn't even tell anyone. He literally couldn't even bring those words out of his mouth. Mm. So Elise goes through chemotherapy, and for the first few months, the cancer receded. And they were so happy. They celebrated their 45th wedding anniversary. They were so excited to spend more years together. They, this was like a life is too short moment for them. They realized. And they're in their 60s, okay? But then a couple months later, the cancer comes back with a vengeance. And Steve doted over her, massaged her, did whatever he could. But it just kept spreading and Elise only got weaker. The chemo made Elise's hair fall out. And from the hospital bed, she called her daughter, Becky, and said, Becky, You bring me a wig and you bring me makeup to the hospital. She felt like she was going to die soon. And Elise didn't want Steve's last memory of her to be anything less than the woman that he fell in love with. She died at 67 years old. And Steve was crushed like he was a shell of a man none of the kids could leave their families and come and live with him because you know they're like in their 40s at this point his kids Mm -hmm. they've got their own lives so he's getting lonelier and lonelier in his house it's just dark and empty and it's not like he isn't an eligible bachelor a ton of older women always approached him at grocery stores at the country club that were like oh my god my condolences but like you want to go out to dinner and he never said yes it always made him uncomfortable so he spent most of his time at the club, staring at the golf field where Elise just loved to be. Now, he asked one of the waitresses, Hey, uh, do you need another job? I need a housekeeper. And she said, Sorry, Mr. Beard. Um, no, I'm a, I'm a full-time student and I can't, but I guess I could ask around to the other waitresses. And that is how Celeste moved in to the Beard household with absolutely no housekeeping experience. In fact, she hated doing house tours with a passion. So get this, Steve is 70, Celeste is 30, and all of Steve's kids are in their 40s. But from the get-go, the relationship was not professional at all. The two start dating and Steve's friends are even thrown off. Like, what is going on? (laughs) Like, we're in our 70s. Why are you dating this 30 year old? (laughs) What's going on? And he would just say, oh, well, I just needed someone to let in the repairman and do some light cooking and laundry in the house. And that's how I met Celeste. And she would butt in, except that I don't cook and I send out the clothes. It's just not me. And she would put her jewelry dripped hand around Steve's arm and throw back her head and laugh. And his friends are like, what the heck? We don't like this girl. Even her kids asked her, Mom, why are you with such an old guy? And she would turn to her twins and she would say, Because he's rich. One time Craig talked to Christina and Steve picked up and Craig tried to warn him. Listen, Celeste is not who you think she is. Be careful. You think she's great now, but she's going to hurt you. You have no idea what you're dealing with. If you're not careful, you're a dead man. And Craig hung up thinking to himself, Nobody's going to believe me. Nobody does till it's too late. So to everyone, Celeste would go around saying, oh, Steve is absolutely wonderful. Listen, money, yes, it's a side thing. Yes, money is important, but I fell in love with how funny he was. You know, when we we would have breakfast together after I started working for him and he was just so intelligent. But Steve's kids, they could see right through her. They hated her. They knew she was a gold digger. She would even wear their late mom's gold watches, like anniversary presents that Steve had given Elise. She would just flaunt it around. Celeste even put Steve on a very strict diet and exercise regimen. She also forced him to uh, take vitamin T shots. That's what he called it. It was just testosterone so that he could have sex with Celeste. He also started spending money on Celeste, like showering her in lavish, expensive gifts. Christina was sent to a local rich kid's school. Celeste would throw these massive parties for Christina's new friends, and she would sit around with them during their sleepovers, and she would say, yeah, my husband is fat, and he's old, but his money makes him look good. Listen, why don't we go to the store, pick up some toilet paper, and if you have any girls that you hate, we'll go teepee their houses. She would drive them around what? to TP their houses. Such an inspiring mother, right? Celeste also never had any friends her own age. She was either doing this with all of Christina's friends or asking Steve's friends' wives to lunch, who were all, like, in their 60s or 70s. So they would tell her, they would try to tell her nicely, like, I, Celeste, I don't, we don't think that we'll have fun. You won't have fun. We're old. She would say, no, 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 let's do it. They would go to the country club and immediately... They regretted it because the minute that Celeste's butt, her little butthole sat down on that chair, it was just nonstop. God, Steve is such a fat slob. He calls me nonstop. I can't even get a moment of peace to myself. He's so annoying. Do you know how hard, uh, do you know what the Sunday suck is? And they're like, oh my God. Like these are just 70 year old women who married for love.
1: Yeah. Why shocked. is she doing that? In I don't, Steve's friends. friend's wives. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So finally, Steve surprises Celeste, yeah, surprises, by popping the question. She begged and she begged and finally he decided to marry her, but they would have a prenup. If they were divorced before their third wedding anniversary, Celeste would get nothing. But if the marriage lasted a minimum of three years, Celeste was entitled to a one-time payment of $500,000. If he died while they were married, she would get $1 million. This is only a fraction of Steve's net worth, which was estimated to be anywhere near $20 million, right? So he hasn't been, he's not head over heels for this girl. He's trying to be logical. He's got his own kids he's got grandkids right he's not gonna throw his life's work at this woman come on she's got to work a little bit harder than that so they get married at the country club and right after the honeymoon celeste is in the kitchen grinding something up in like one of those you know pestle and more you know what i'm talking about christina's confused Mm -hmm. mom what's that sleeping pills why listen i can't stand being here all night with that fat this way he'll have a few drinks pass out and then i can go out So while he was knocked out, Celeste would go clubbing. Steve's friends knew. I mean, some of their kids saw her out clubbing. (laughs) Their kids. Uh, Nobody told him. They felt bad for Steve. They didn't want to hurt him. Celeste did cross a line, though. She once overdrew her personal credit card and decided to fix this and pay off her credit card by emptying out Steve's safety deposit box and selling all of it. It was all of Elise's jewelry. (sighs) You don't mess with Elise. So Steve kicks her out the same day, and within a week he hires a divorce attorney. So Celeste had pulled out all the usual cards. You know, she pulled out the fact that she was abused allegedly. She wrote him a letter about how her dad raped her, and she said, "I'm just, I'm hurting so much. I hurt so much that I screw everything up, and I, I need to get help. Whatever you want to do to me, I'll accept it. I love you. I will change, and as proof, I'll even, I'll even admit myself into the psych ward." Which she did, and she was diagnosed with bipolar personality disorder as well as narcissistic personality disorder. After a few weeks, Steve takes her back. He was a goner. He wasn't just in love with Celeste, but he was also in love with Christina too, as his own daughter. Like, he was honestly a nice person. Like, he felt bad for Christina. He did a lot for her. He paid off all of Celeste's credit cards and she moved back in. And Celeste knew that Steve loved Christina, so she started using it to her advantage. She would tell Christina, you've got to get him to sell this house. We have to get a new one. Why, Mom? Like, this house is nice. What's the point? If he dies right now, the kids are going to get this house. If he builds or buys us a new one, then it becomes community property and we'll get the house. Within a few days of kicking Celeste out of the house and her moving back in, he puts the place up for sale. Celeste kept telling him, Sweetie, it just feels like it's Elise's house and not my house. I feel like everyone wants me to be Elise and it's so sad. Celeste starts racking up the bills again. Sometimes she would go shopping and spend $50,000 in one day. A single day. She would even pour out half of Steve's vodka and refilled it with Everclear. That's like pure grain alcohol. She said that this will help him pass out early. And she would be laughing while she said that. Then I can do whatever I want for the rest of the night. So instead of him drinking 80 proof vodka in his cocktail, he was drinking 190 proof vodka or Everclear. The two of them bought land and the deal was that Steve was going to build the house and Celeste was going to design and furnish the place. She said, sure, I don't care, but I need a room for at least 500 pairs of shoes. So they built the place from the ground up. They put in a koi pond, a man-made stream, a pool. The house cost millions to build. Celeste went on to spend so much money. She bought herself a custom-made bed, custom everything, and then she wanted a mini version of all the furniture for her dog. She spent $7,000 on pillows. Sometimes if Celeste went to the bank with no ID and they refused to cash her checks, which is protocol, she would scream at them, Do you f***ing know who I am? She would get Steve's banker on the phone and she would yell at him too. What the f*** is this? It's really aggressive, but I'm trying to get the point across. And then Celeste started talking to Craig. She sensed that he was going through a weak spot. So during all of this, Craig had actually gotten remarried and was happy for a little while. But recently, he had a divorce. He was uh, depressed. He was drinking again. And Celeste slid right in. And within a few weeks of them reconnecting, he was getting more and more depressed. And Jennifer noticed this. So Jennifer said, hey, I know I'm supposed to go see Celeste and Christina. Like, it's summertime, so I'm supposed to go every summer. But... I don't think I should go this time. I kind of want to be with you, Dad. You seem like you're going through a rough patch. And he just said, no, 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 just go. The day that Jennifer arrives at Celeste, her dad is not picking up the phone. And she panicked. And Craig's family, they went over there to check up on him. And they opened the door. They saw blood splatter on the walls. And they knew. They didn't go any further. He had shot himself in the head. Everyone believes that Celeste made him do it. She was the last person to talk to him. She probably, the last time one of Craig's friends talked about it, she had told Craig, I married a rich man who's going to take care of the girls better than you ever could because you're a lousy father. So those who knew Craig said Celeste didn't pull the trigger, but she loaded the gun. And uh, this is how she dealt with her loss. She was so excited. Because she could have full custody of jennifer another person to boss around she spent all of her time grieving for craig by calling his mom to ask for his ring his watch and all the letters that she had ever written him When they refused, Celeste put an ad in the newspaper about wanting Craig's pictures. Like, wanted any photographs of Craig, like his 15-year-old daughters are distraught. We did not receive any physical memories of our father. Just one photo will help ease the pain of his death. So the local reporters, they saw this and they thought, wow, that could be a good story. So they questioned the girls and, you know, they were coached to say that Craig's family wasn't giving them any pictures of their own father and they were so depressed. This caused the daughters to be alienated from their dad side of the family and now really all they had was Celeste the only silver lining was that Steve was there for them he was a great father figure he would take them to their you know he would take them to breakfast at the country club to their soccer practices he loved the girls I mean it was to the point where one day the girls sat him down and asked him Steve we'd like for you to adopt us we love you and his eyes filled with tears and he said I love you too and he adopted them Whenever Celeste threw a tantrum at the girls, he tried to calm them down. She doesn't mean what she said to you. You know, your mother's a firecracker. Sometimes she blows up, but don't pay her any attention, okay? She'll get over it. So, the four of them, they move into this new house that Steve built for them. And in the living room, on the fireplace, was a giant painting of Celeste that she had commissioned for Steve for Father's Day. Yeah. Okay. Very fascinating. Celeste also refused Steve from going to the hallway with the girls' rooms in then because she said, You're not your, their biological father. They're growing girls. That's creepy. Don't do that. But in reality, she was hiding her credit card bills plus her clubbing clothes in the girls' rooms. But Steve never went in there to give them their privacy because they're growing girls. So whenever Steve fell asleep, she would sneak into the girls' rooms, change, and head out. Steve was so touched by how wonderful this family was that he funded a $500,000 trust for Celeste. This was on top of the prenup. Every single penny was gone in six months. What? Yeah. Yeah. What did she spend her money on? Well, she got her hair done twice a week. She had a like once a week nail appointment. She would impulsively fly around the world buying first class tickets. She was wild. She spent money on everything. Everywhere she went, though, she continued to bad mouth her husband. She would always say, listen, I have to give him oral sex once a week, every Sunday. I call it my money making day. I call it the Sunday suck. Super romantic. Yeah. Does it get more gross? Absolutely. Celeste was known for flirting with her daughter's teenage boyfriends. Whenever they would come over, she would pretend that she was getting ready to have sex with Steve and she would put on these scandalous lingerie, lotion up her body, and she would complain to them. He takes way too long if he gets distracted. That fat old man, I never thought he'd live this long. And then she would give them tips on how to have oral sex. She would also brag about how she was still sleeping with her ex-husband. One time she had these really scratched up knees. And her kids were like, oh my god, mom, are your knees okay? And she said, oh, Yeah, it's because I had sex with my ex last night. It was wild. Then one other day, she went over to Jimmy's place and saw a car in the driveway that she did not recognize, and she assumed it was another woman. She was so pissed that she took off her pants, crouched down, and urinated on his lawn. All the while, she was complaining to the girls that she doesn't like Steve's will. After all, she is his wife, and it's only fair. I deserve more money, don't you think? I'm going to have to do something about this. Something has to change. So whatever she did, it worked. On July 30th, Steve finalized his trust, naming her a beneficiary. He drew up a new will that if he died while they were still married, she would get both houses paid for by the estate and she would be entitled to his personal property. So all of his belongings, his IRA accounts, his club memberships and the $500,000 original gift. But if he died while they were divorced, she would get much less than that. So she milked him dry in the meantime. She would throw parties for the twins, like for their 18th birthday. Um, she drugged him with sleeping pills in his dinner. And she threw the girls a surprise party with strippers and G-strings that were giving her kids lap dances. And guess who her date to the party was? Jimmy, not Steve. So eventually Steve finds out about the affair and soon Celeste is in the kitchen holding a pistol to her head, screaming, I'm going to kill myself. You don't love me. Nobody loves me. So Christina's begging her to stop, calls the police. Celeste is taken to a critical care psychiatric unit. And this is where she crossed paths with a Tracy Tarleton. Now, who's Tracy? Tracy was born to a very wealthy family. Her dad was a high powered attorney. Her parents were not involved in her life she was very unloved tracy's mom was very similar to celeste uh tracy's mom would hang out with the neighborhood kids treated them like their friends we don't really know much about this but we do know that tracy's mom sexually abused her since she was eight ironically around this time tracy's mom accused tracy's dad of assaulting her so in turn he just starts completely ignoring his daughter tracy drank practically every single day since she was 14 and she felt like there was this little voice in her head that constantly told her to kill herself And it was her destiny. That's what her mom would want. And then freshman year of college, Tracy walks into a hair salon to get her hair done, and the owner Alice looks at her and says, Honey, you're gay. So she introduces Tracy to her friends, all lesbian women. And finally, Tracy felt like a sense of belonging. And honestly, they loved her too. She was a catch. She had more of a masculine vibe about her, a husky voice. She was athletic. And from that point on in college, Tracy starts drinking more, experimenting with a lot of women, and sometimes she had multiple girlfriends at once. One time, Tracy brought her girlfriend over. Her parents had approved of her, you know, being gay, which... Thank God, right? But her phone rings in the middle of the night while her partner's sleeping over, and it's her mom. And her mom is whispering into the phone, I know what you're doing up there, and it's sick, you lesbians. What? Yeah. Just bizarre. Like, she had just had a nice dinner with her mom and her girlfriend, and now her mom is, like, calling upstairs into her room, like, you lesbians, it's sick. So at just 24 years old, Tracy tries to take her own life. She attempted to overdose. She was sent to a rehab, and things... After she gets out, things look like it's going to get better. She starts working as a biologist at a bat conservation international laboratory or something of that sort. So she was traveling to Africa, South America to do incredible work. And she she loved it. She always felt like she was an advocate for an animal that's misunderstood. People hate bats and she is advocating for them. But it all went wrong when one day in the hallway, she saw two men walking ahead of her and uh, she came up behind them and said, how are they hanging?" (laughs) <laughs> balls. What? They're balls. One of those men was the owner, like he was the boss. He did not find it funny. Yeah. So uh, she was fired. She was upset. <laughs> she didn't think it was sexual assault at all, but they said that it was. Uh, said some sources say that she grabbed his balls. So either way, very inappropriate. After 14 years of sobriety, she starts drinking again because she had just gotten fired. And her drinking is a lot worse than ever. She starts playing Russian roulette. She would call her friends and say, I've got one life bullet in the chamber. So thankfully, one of them picked her up, took her to the psychiatric ward, and that's where she met Celeste, who was also being treated in the hospital. But she treated it more like a hotel. She was rude to the staff. She ordered them around. She ordered Steve and her kids to bring her meals because she hated the food there. She would always say, I ought to bring my maid in. It's filthy in here. She turned to another patient and said, listen, you're probably here on insurance, but my husband is paying cash.
1: Wow. What a weird flex. She's got a flex everywhere. I know.
0: She was wearing fur coats the whole time, big jewelry. And for the first time, Celeste was alone in the courtyard and Tracy walked out and they said that it was sparks flying. Sure, they were drugged out on heavy medication in the ward, but they they felt it. The attraction was there. It was strong. Celeste would start opening up to Tracy. I hate my husband. He's the cause of my depression. He's the one with the money and the power, and he's constantly rubbing it in my face. He threatened me with divorce, but I know he'll never let me go that easy. I just didn't even think that he would live this long. I despise him. I only married him because he helped me get custody of my kids. My father molested me, and my brothers raped me. This one's new. So did my first husband. And she started kind of ranting slowly more and more to Tracy. She would also kind of in between these rants. So one meeting would be a rant. The next meeting, she would sneak up behind Tracy and make out with her in the, in the bathroom. Tracy would kiss her back. They started touching each other, groping each other. Now, relationships are not allowed in this hospital. So the two of them would have to sneak around to do all this foreplay. And Tracy latched on to Celeste. And from the Steve rants, the hatred only got worse from there, you know? Celeste would say, Steve's an old man, and if he's going to die soon, I wish I could just help him along the way. When he dies, I get all his money. And Tracy slowly started feeling like it was a normal conversation. Because, you know, if you start with a conversation like this, it's really alarming, especially in a psych ward. But Celeste was smart. She played Tracy. Tracy was just so in love that both of them plotted to get transferred to a longer term facility where they would hopefully be placed in the same room. After months of scheming, it worked. And they went to be together. They started moving fast. Celeste told Tracy, I love you. She opened up about everything in her life. Tracy at this new facility, she did want to get better. She kept a journal. She did everything her therapist told her. But Celeste refused. She bragged to everybody again. My husband is paying cash so I can do whatever I want. Honestly, it was a slap in the face to the other patients because this is not the flex that she thought it was. These people were here on their last dollar and dime to try to turn their lives around. Celeste also kept begging her kids to smuggle in goods like razors for Celeste to use to shave. Jennifer would later say, it was awful. We were smuggling in razors to a unit where people were suicidal. I feel disgusted with myself. Like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe she made me do that. Anyway. Celeste, you know, she starts having sex with Tracy and she told her that she's never had sex with a woman, which I don't know. I don't really believe to be true because, you know, the brother's girlfriend Mm -hmm. and uh, she hated sex with men, could never have orgasms. And she wanted Tracy to teach her the way. So they kept doing it. Meanwhile, while she's in this psych ward, Steve's thinking about divorcing his wife. He realized life is so much more peaceful without her. And he asked the girls, would you guys still stay with me if I do? If I divorce your mom? So after Celeste and Tracy are both released from the program, they're still writing to each other. They're doing long distance from Austin, Texas to Dallas, Texas. And Celeste starts sneaking off to Austin to be with Tracy. She would throw parties for Tracy at Steve's lake house. And of course, Steve was never there. And he was so concerned. He would say things like, we are husband and wife, but I barely see you anymore. He thought maybe they just needed to rekindle their love. He went to his assistant and he booked a trip. All through Europe, all of October, they will travel from Berlin to Munich to Paris, London, you know, York, Scotland, Dublin. They were going to travel all over Europe.
1: So, so he's not trying to divorce her anymore? No,
0: he thought maybe they just need to rekindle their romance. Mm. They would eat at the best restaurants, only drive around in limousines, stay at the finest hotels. The travel itself would cost $50,000 not including all the food the extra cost it was a dream trip the travel yeah, but, agent yeah but she spends that in two weeks yeah yeah <laughs> so. the travel agent asked her you know do you need trip insurance and he said "No, no no i'm going no matter what this time we won't be canceling i gotta rekindle my love and celeste was surprised with this trip and she immediately turned around she didn't want to go she said god i can't spend another entire month with him this is torture She called Tracy and said, that old bastard needs to die. He's got to be out of the way. She always loved to scream, when that fat fuck is gone, we can finally be together. So Celeste buys a book called The Poisoner's Handbook and asks Tracy on uh, how to make one of those poisons listed called botulism, I think. It's a dangerous nerve toxin produced by bacteria found in soil. Death is quick and relatively symptomless, it says. Tracy gets to work. She makes it in an airtight jar, mixing corn, raw hamburgers, dirt, and then she adds water to the jar. She seals it, leaves it in the Texas sun for it to bake.
1: Oh, so she, she has the background.
0: I guess. What yeah. was
1: she working? Where was she walk, working at? A
0: hairdresser. She does not have the background. They oh. read it in a book. <laughs> oh, but maybe if you're like mixing hair dye chemicals, <laughs> listen. Does anyone have a background in murder? <laughs> Celeste wants to know. So Celeste would say, "Okay, you need to get three rats from the store. Feed this to them and see if it works." Tracy calls her. It didn't work. The rats aren't dead. Give it to me anyway. Celeste feeds it to Steve and she's so pissed. She calls Tracy and says, I put it in his chili hot dogs and that fat didn't even notice. It didn't even upset his stomach. But she was feeling stressed. She needed it to work. That Europe trip was hanging over her head. In just a few months, she would be alone with Steve for an entire month. So she comes up with a new plan. Tracy, you got to buy some ecstasy. I'm going to take it to the bar, slip it in his drink, and then tell the police that someone else did. He's going to overdose on ecstasy. But it didn't work. They tried. She later complained that fat f is so big that nothing will kill him. It's like trying to kill an elephant.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Tracy laughed it off, but then one day the call came. You need to come over right now. He's passed out. I need help to kill him. Tracy rushes over there. Steve is knocked out on the chair. What happened? I drugged him. Help me. I need to get him out of the chair. Wait, 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 what? Celeste puts a garbage bag over his head and she says, I saw this on TV. The bag's not going to leave marks. We just have to suffocate him. So they put him on the floor. They attempt to suffocate him. The bag goes in and out with each breath. Tracy tells Celeste, wait, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't hold the bag. I just can't. And Celeste couldn't do it either. So they call an ambulance and they told 911 that Steve had a seizure. When he was admitted into the hospital, his blood alcohol level was 0.168 and his oxygen levels were dangerously low. So a social worker comes to talk to him and he says, I'm so shocked. I only had two to three vodka cocktails. None of this makes sense. And they all thought that Steve was in denial because Mm -hmm. his alcohol level was way higher than that. So they send him back home. Nobody suspects Celeste at all. Five days before the trip is due to head out, Celeste begs Tracy. You have to help me. I can't go with him. If I go, he's going to kill me. If I don't go, he's going to kill me. He's going to hunt me down. I will never survive this trip. So when she says he's going to kill me, uh, it seems like it's more implied even to Tracy. Not that he would physically kill her, but just being alone with him for a month is going to kill her. Now Celeste begs and begs, just shoot him, please. Tracy says, I can't do that. Then you might as well say goodbye to me. I'll never come back from that trip. Go get my gun. I'll kill myself right now. At least that way he'll never touch me again. Listen, Tracy, I have nobody else to turn to. And so with that pressure, the heat, the stress, the idea of losing Celeste, who honestly, to Tracy, reminded her so much of her own mom that she hated, but desperately wanted to be approved by, Tracy said, okay, fine. I'll do it. Celeste smiled and took Tracy's face into her hands and kissed her on the lips and said, Well, you'll never be caught. You won't even be a suspect. I've read so many books on things like this. I've watched so many movies. I know what I'm doing. Just you wait and see. So, two days before that big Europe trip, Steve was packed. Celeste never even started. Tracy came over at night after work. She had on gloves, a sheet of plastic to cover the seat of her car, and uh, Celeste had a request I want Steve to be shot in the stomach. I heard there's less blood splatter that way, and I don't want to redecorate. Now, this is eerily similar to Pamela Smart's case, but Tracy snuck into the house through the back door that Celeste left unlocked. They had already staged it to look like a robbery, and uh, Tracy felt sick. She said once she was inside, she thought to herself, I can't do this. But it was the only way to save Celeste. She stood above Steve's sleeping body. Celeste was sleeping in Christina's room, and uh, Christina was drugged up that night, so she heard nothing. Tracy shot Steve in the stomach, And he groaned. He starts moving and he reaches for something on the nightstand. And she was so worried it was a gun that she doesn't shoot him again. She rushes out of there. He picks up the phone and calls for an ambulance. He says, My guts blew out of my stomach. He has no idea he's been shot. He just woke up and his intestines are out of his stomach. Are you alone? My wife is somewhere in the house. Okay. Help is on the way. I just woke up and my guts blew out of my stomach. I can't move. I'm holding them all. Call my wife. She's in another part of the house. They tried his wife's number. No response. The police arrive very quickly and they surround the place. They call for an emergency helicopter to get Steve airlifted to the hospital. And they administer first aid. And that's when a deputy bent over. Saw something shiny on the floor. What is that? It was a shotgun bullet shell. Pack it up. It's a crime scene. So this commotion wakes up Christina, and uh, she's like, what's going on? And Celeste says, I think someone's at the door. They rush outside, and the EMTs arrive to help Steve, and Celeste is in tears. She's sobbing. Please don't let my husband die. Please don't let my husband die. Christina rushes to him and says, Dad, they're going to take you to the hospital. We all love you. I love you. Steve smiles at her and says, is your mother all right? Yes, she's fine. Don't worry. Just get better wow celeste goes outside to smoke a cigarette and she looks at an emt worker and goes this perfect timing we were supposed to leave for europe tomorrow They thought it was such a bizarre comment, like what? So the police escort her to the hospital and they knew this is a crime scene, right? And the crime scene was really badly staged. The place looked like a staged burglary. It looked like a burglar cared about not making a mess for the owners. Really? Are you freaking kidding me? Like someone who didn't want to clean up afterwards. I mean, there was no overturned furniture. There was nothing ransacked. Nothing was even stolen. It just looked like someone kind of moved things around
1: throwing the pillow onto the ground
0: the seven thousand dollar throw pillows onto the ground yeah pretty much like that like nothing was ransacked like what so steve is rushed into the or and um the doctor said that his stomach looked like shredded meat parts of his skin were already decaying he had a weak lungs weak heart the longer he spent in the or the worse it was looking for him the doctors gave him a 50 50 chance at best celeste warned the kids Don't you dare tell the police anything about Tracy. She has nothing to do with this. Thankfully, they didn't listen to her. Jennifer told them straight up. You need to talk to Tracy Charlton. Like, I don't know this woman, but she's she's weird. And Jennifer said it in a way that was like, I'm suspicious of my mom and I'm suspicious of Tracy. Christina, on the other hand, said Tracy's in love with my mom and I'm scared she's going to go after my mom next. She wants to do something to be with my mom. Like she's jealous of Steve. You need to get her so we can protect my mom. That's how Christina felt. So the police go into the OR to talk to Steve and they said, Mr. Beard, blink once for yes and twice for no. Did you see who did this to you? He blinked twice. Do you think it has anything to do with anyone in your family? And he blinked once for yes. The police do a background check on Tracy. They find out that she has a registered 22 shotgun, the same one that was used at the crime scene. And uh, it's time to bring her in. And when they do, she just didn't seem that surprised. She immediately asked if she needed a lawyer. They asked to see her shotgun and she brought it. And the smell of cleaning fluid was so strong that they didn't even need to ask, did you clean it recently? They rushed it into testing. Tracy knew her fate was sealed. It was over. So she gets an attorney and they advise her. You need to testify against Celeste. Get a plea deal. She said, absolutely not. Do what you can. But if this thing goes bad, I don't want Celeste involved
1: wow meanwhile
0: celeste is busy making calls of her own not to save tracy no 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 to the bank uh, steve is in the hospital i need my name put on the bank accounts so i can you know pay the bills but the bankers refused she was pissed she felt like she had every right to steve's money meanwhile the twins are horrified this is like their second dad that's about to die in three years I mean, they're distraught. They don't even know what to do. He was depressed. He had tears running out of his cheeks. Anytime they saw Steve outside the OR and Celeste played that part. She would jump to his side and say, oh, Steve, you'll be all right. I love you. And when she was grieving, she would leave the hospital and, you know, do what she does, which is sink her sadness into retail therapy. She spent over $500,000 in just four months while he was laying in the hospital. She even cashed a $50,000 check. You're like, how did she get that? Is she working? She just spends money. Where did she get the cash, right? Well, before the Europe trip, she had called Steve's travel agent and gotten trip insurance on the whole trip. Almost as if she knew that they weren't going to go. She made sure that Steve's kids were never allowed to see him, even though their own father was in critical condition. She had power of attorney and the kids couldn't do much. Becky, Steve's daughter, screamed, he's been my father a lot longer than he's been your husband. Get out of my way. And Celeste pushed her and said, he has a new family now. He doesn't love any of you. And Steve was not getting any better. After his surgery, he was so vulnerable to infection. So any common cold or any sniffles that a normal healthy human might feel because he is on all of these meds, he just had life-saving operations, it could kill him. Any small infection could literally kill him. So hospital personnel, they were told to wash their hands, wear surgical gowns when they go into his room. Um, Guess who didn't care about that rule at all? Celeste. She actually went to see him with a sore throat, and when she got inside, she ripped off her mask and made out with him on the lips. Steve cried most days. He was just depressed. Sometimes the twins were there, and he tried to, they tried to lighten his mood. He tried to lighten their mood, actually. He would always say, "Ivy fluids and ice chips don't match the real food. And he whispered to Jennifer, I see hamburgers in my dreams. And she started giggling, and he did too. had to stop because his stomach was in agonizing pain Uh. a week later tracy is arrested facing life in prison for attempted murder she did get out on bond though now because of that celeste made a whole deal of getting tight security on the house making it seem like i'm terrified tracy's gonna come after me so she had a jimmy martinez yeah her ex-husband set up security cameras all around the house she paid uh seventy six hundred dollars for a chain link fence in this nice area of Austin, like a chain link fence with like the barbed wire on top, like not a gate. I don't know. I think her neighbors were really pissed at her, right? Nothing's wrong with a chain link fence, but just, you know, do with that what you will. And then she also bought um, a gazebo because she said that Steve is going to be wheelchair-bound and he needs to sit on the gazebo and look out into the woods. She also paid $26,000 for a new wheelchair-accessible stair railing, but that one would not get installed for a really long time. She bought two Cadillacs for the twins and one for herself. I don't know how she justified this one, but she did. Like the one month since his shooting, she spent nearly $300,000. Steve was on to her, though. At the hospital one day, he whispered in her ear, Did you put Tracy up to this? And Celeste called him crazy and said, of course not. What are you saying, sweetie? And the next day, Celeste had Christina go read Steve a letter that she wrote, proclaiming her innocence, pledging her love and devotion. And um, at the end of it, it only pissed off Steve. He picked up a glass full of ice and threw it at Christina and screamed, get out. Christina also wasn't really doing well. Celeste was threatening to take her life every two seconds. At one point, Celeste threw a glass up against the wall, took a shard of that glass, pointed it at her wrist and yelled at Christina, you know what your father looked like when he blew his brains out? His face, his whole head was gone. I read the autopsy. His whole face was nothing but a big hole. Christina was screaming, stop it. And She said, why do you care? You don't care about your dad. You're Christina Beard now. She didn't like that Christina was being so nice to Steve. Celeste met up with Tracy again and told her soon it'll all be over. He's gonna die. Tracy said, no, you, you can't. Then I'm gonna be charged with murder, not just attempted murder. It's fine, don't worry about it. When he comes home, it'll be so easy. All I have to do is spit on my hands and touch him all over the place. He's gonna get an infection and die. I just wish he would fucking die. Die and leave me the hell alone. I hate going to the hospital to see him. It just interrupts my day. It's so inconvenient. Tracy begs her, please, please, just let it be. Let him live. Sure enough, Steve was healing very slowly. It was painful. In one month, he had lost 100 pounds. He was pale. He hadn't seen his kids. He was able to talk to his banker, though, who told him that Celeste was selling all of his stocks. And his friends were worried. And he said, no, no, I, I don't want a divorce. I'll, I'll talk to her. I'll put the brakes on. And soon enough, Steve was discharged. Celeste left the kids to take him back home because she had errands to run. And since the wheels, wheelchair stair railing was the last thing installed, it wasn't completed yet. She didn't even have that done. That wasn't a priority. So Steve had to walk up the stairs and each step was agonizing pain. It took him 30 minutes to go up a flight of stairs. Regardless, he was so excited to be home. But it would only last 24 hours because Celeste soon realized she couldn't let him pee the bed. It's a custom mattress. He needed a lot of care and she didn't want to give it to him. So she lied to the doctor and said, ah, the dude's sick. Just take him back in. And he was readmitted into the hospital. In the hospital, they did find a rash on his groin. Now, sure, Steve was feeling fine, but the doctors were concerned that this was an infection in the making, so they wanted to monitor him for a few days. His temperature was rising, his pulse was rising, he was becoming delirious. He told Christina, You owe me money, $20. And at one point, he whispered into her ear, Hello, Elise. And soon, Steve was back in the ICU. His heart was beating at 162 beats per minute. His oxygen levels were dangerously low. For four minutes, his pulse dropped to 60. And then it simply stopped. He was dead. Celeste cried and screamed through the hallways of the hospital. And then she snapped out of it to call the banks to put her name on the accounts. She refused to plan a big funeral because she didn't want Steve's damn kids in her house. Celeste put the kids to immediate work. She had things, all of Steve's things, either gifted, given to friends, or thrown away. He hadn't even been dead for a day. But she soon realized that Steve was worth more alive than dead, at least to her. None of the bankers were listening to her. She couldn't just sweet talk them. It was up to them to decide how much she could withdraw at a time since this was a trust. It wasn't just a bank account. It was a trust. Mm -hmm. She lied to one of them and said she had breast cancer and needed the money for treatment. And they still denied her. And she screamed, I'm going to cut my breast off and mail it to you. The trust was paying for all of her bills. So the mortgages on all the houses, everything was paid for by the trust every single month. But she was getting about ten dollars to $15,000 a month in spending money. And that wasn't enough for her. Crazy. Yeah. She said it wasn't enough. It's my money. My money, not the banks. Thankfully for her, Steve already had planned his funeral when Elise had died. He was going to be buried with Elise. But Celeste had to pick up a new uh, coffin. So while she was there with the girls, she told them, why don't you guys pick one up too?
1: What do you mean? Pick one up for who? Them. For the girls.
0: And she said, they said, what? Why would we do that? We're like 19. Just pick one up. Celeste always had a strange feeling like that, that the girls were always going to die early. She always kept special burial clothes in her closet for them just in case. So she bought them coffins, matching coffins that day. So when the funeral came, Celeste rented a limo for her and the girls. And before the funeral, she asked the driver to stop at a local pharmacy for a few seconds. Everyone assumed it's because she had to pick up something. But instead, she went in there and told the head pharmacist, now I own this place. It's time for you people to kiss my ass like you kiss Steve's. So the pharmacy was owned by Steve.
1: You're shitting me.
0: And then she left. And at the funeral, the girls put in small gifts into the casket for Steve, a photo album with pictures of them during happy times, a teddy bear that they had bought him at the hospital. And Celeste put in a small bottle of vodka and said, you know, for the trip. And she later bragged about how funny and witty that was because he would never go on that Europe trip and she knew it. A few weeks after this, Celeste sits down her kids and their boyfriends and says, Tracy and I made a pact. When things get tough, we're going to kill ourselves together. But I don't want to die alone, and I can't die with her. So will you guys die with me? Remember, just weeks ago, she had bought her kids coffins. So uh, they start kind of freaking out. So they leave the house, and they kind of run away from home. Same with Tracy. Tracy's freaking out because she's getting served with murder charges. Now, Celeste decides... Now's not the time to die. I can just meet another rich man. So she bragged to the kids that this new guy that she's seeing is richer than Steve. Please come home. I want you guys to meet him. So they come home and they meet him. And uh, she just says some weird things. Like she was hanging out with friends and Celeste would say, you guys are looking at a woman who fucked her way to the top. She even performed fellatio on this guy, this rich guy, while her kids were in the room.
1: In front of the kids?
0: Yeah. But then the next day they went to the guy's house and instead of a mansion, it was an apartment complex. So then she dumped him. She was just upset. She thought that he was rich because he drove a Jaguar, but he was poor. So she said, oh, well, on to the next one. She also hired a woman by the name of Donna to be her assistant. Um, But this person was mainly hired to be a hitman. So Donna, her whole job was to find a hitman for Celeste to kill Tracy. And Donna was like, yeah, I know a lot of people. I know people in the mafia. But in reality, Donna did not. Donna just wanted to pocket the cash. So the twins, they they want nothing to do with this. They're terrified. They skip town. They leave with their boyfriends, but they have no money. Celeste cleared out their trust funds that, yeah, Steve had set up trust for them. They also had no credit. Celeste had started using it before they were 10 years old, before they were even adults. So their credit was so messed up. And she left a message on one of the girl's boyfriend's phones. And it said, Christina stole Casey, the puppy. She's valued at over $500, so that's a felony. Listen, I don't want to do this to my own children because I love them and, you know, Mother's Day is coming up, but they're leaving me no choice. The other thing is, if they don't come home by 5, listen, I'm not psycho or anything. I'm as calm as I can be, so they can come home. But if they don't, I will report them for stealing the keys to my house and everything else. I will hire a private detective and track them down because they were stupid enough to charge on the gas card and I've disconnected their phones. Neither one of them has car insurance anymore. Please make sure to tell the girls that I love them, but I will have them arrested at school because they've, they've hurt me. And it's only fair that they too get humiliated. Listening to this, Christina kind of opened her eyes for the first time and saw her mom for who she really was. So she called and she had to ask, What is the deal with Donna? Christina, I'll tell you when you get home. Does she have something on you? Just tell me. Tell me now. I can't. You'll just go and tell everyone else. You'll go tell your sister. Mom, I won't. I won't. Okay. I hired someone to kill Tracy. Celeste had no idea Christina was recording their calls. The girls lawyered up, told the lawyer everything, played the recording of Celeste, and the lawyer said, that's all circumstantial evidence. As of right now, You just have to go into hiding for this to work out. Meanwhile, Tracy was still protecting Celeste. When she found out through the newspaper that uh, Celeste was planning on killing her, that she had hired a hitman, Tracy Mm -hmm. downed a bottle of pills and vodka and she was taken to the hospital. Jeez. Celeste would not be there because she was on her honeymoon. Yes, she married her fifth husband. So after Tracy's suicide attempt, she was rearrested and she finally decided to plead guilty to murder and testify against Celeste for a reduced sentence of 20 years. The police rushed to arrest Celeste and her bail was set at $8 million, one of the highest in the history of Travis County, Texas. Celeste wasn't sweating, though. She had the best attorney Steve's money could buy. And her whole argument was, listen, Tracy's bad crazy she's insane she's obsessed with me she wanted steve out of the picture but even celeste's own daughters testified against her meanwhile the defense argued that the twins were spoiled brats who just wanted their adoptive dad's money yes celeste cheated on steve but steve knew it he was sexually impotent he couldn't get a bonbon so of course he let her do her own thing sexually speaking but emotionally and mentally they were together all the time He knew that Celeste married him for support and money, and he he didn't care. He was happier than he'd ever been with her. The defense claimed that Celeste never said she hired someone to kill Tracy. One of the girl's boyfriends was really good with computers, so obviously it was edited. Well, what about that audio recording? Or of him, you know, talking to the kids? What do you mean? So the kids had recorded this um, from one of their phone conversations, and it was played to the jury, and it was not a good look. She said, Do you know what it feels like? Do you do you know what it feels like when you're four years old? You're not even kindergarten and some guy has a big sticking in you. Do you know what that does to you? I don't think I can ever forgive you for what you said to me tonight, because as soon as I get home, I feel like just sticking a knife down my throat. You bitch. There's a lot of sorry. I got really into that role. Celeste said this to her own kids. So, of course, the jury is listening to this going, wow, this is not a regular woman we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Celeste was found guilty. She was given two life sentences and the possibility of parole in 40 years. Christina gave a victim impact statement and she said, I have a lot of things to say to you. What did I ever do to you? What did Jen ever do to you but love you? You don't deserve us. You never deserved us. You said we turned on you, but you turned on us. Steve gave you his love and he took you into his family and you violated him. You murdered him. You're guilty. Shame on you. Celeste's hands were shaking as Christina walked past her. Her eyes were fixated on Christina, her favorite daughter. But it was just eyes filled with utter rage. So Celeste now has 20 more years to go before parole. She has never admitted guilt. She said that her biggest regret is raising daughters who love money more than people.
1: Wow. There's some people just, there's no going. Yeah. There's no cure for, for that.
0: Yeah. Tracy was released after 20 years. She now lives a very private life in a... So Jennifer and Christina, they do have a Christmas ritual. Every year they get together with the church with other victims of violent crimes and they decorate a tree. They have a gold ornament in honor of Steve. In 2017, Jennifer was shot multiple times by her roommate at the time in her stomach at a Halloween party. What? She did survive, but she needed a lot of surgeries. And I can't, I can't imagine how traumatic that was. Not, but also the stomach part.
1: Yeah. Do we know what happened? It was or? just
0: like a Halloween party gone wrong. He shot up uh, multiple other people too. Oh One person God. did die from the party.
1: Yeah. Man, that feels so bad for yeah. the twin.
0: And that is the story of Celeste. Let me know. I mean, what are your thoughts? Like she just really never stops like you said. How is she so shameless? Do you guys know people like that? Do you find that these people are particularly scary versus... Sometimes I think these stories are scarier than other ones that we talk about. Because yeah. it's like... How do you just blatantly disregard the way humans work? What are your thoughts? Let me know and I will see you guys on Sunday for the mini Bye!